Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Sex, Psychics and Psychedelics, Discovering Inner Liberation. My name is Banana Jane Garnett. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, a lover of freedom and a relentless explorer of the mind. Please come join me on my journey in hot pursuit of inner illumination and liberation. For more about me, you can find me at the Banana Jane on Instagram. Now let's dive in. My next guest is the glorious Kelly M. Tennant. She's a show host and she's a explorer and educator at the intersection of spiritual and sexual liberation. She's here to help women break free from the toxic lies of the past. She's a kindred spirit. I'm delighted to welcome her here on Sex, Psychics and Psychedelics. Welcome, Kelly. I've got so many kind of different impressions of you and glimpses of you from the research that I've done, which has been very kind of organic and and haphazard. But I just want to sort of give some snapshots of what I've been receiving about you, which is this kind of more, I suppose, traditional start as as a volleyball star and then a sports reporter for major networks. And then this kind of transition into sort of sexual, spiritual influencer. But then within this, wow, there seems to be such a sort of broad span. So when I first saw you, you were like dancing around the screen, promoting a butt plug. And I'm like, oh, my God, her energy is so clean and sparkly. (laughs) And she's like this. She's the butt plug fairy. Oh, my God. God, I got to get to know this woman. And then. As I sort of went deeper, and I, I think this might be your more recent stuff, there's this, like, just gets much deeper. There's, I don't know, we should say deeper than yeah. plugging, but <laughs> it's, it, you know, it gets more sort of, gosh, existential. And I'm seeing you posting about loneliness and about sobriety and about feeling lost and about perfectionism and getting really, really raw alongside posting about, you know, threesomes on plant medicine. And I'm like, okay, we have to talk. (laughs) (laughs) You just did a great summary of Kelly Tennant. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I sort of had to get that off my chest because I've been sitting with it. I'm like, I'm just dying to connect some dots with you. And and I, I guess I'd love to just start by grounding a bit in your journey and then I know we'll go deep and wild yeah definitely you know it's um it's like you said it's it's very multifaceted multi-layered and I think that as I'm getting older I'm 33 now and I've been on this path for probably three a little over three years and so I'm still relatively new and I think as you go from your 20s into your 30s and you start to have more perspective because you have more experiences and more context in the world. You start to realize that there's just so many layers. And there's, I think when we grow up, we believe that we have to be one way. And that's how I felt about myself. I had to be Kelly Tennant, the volleyball player, or Kelly Tennant, the broadcaster, and I had to be perfect in all that I did. And I really wanted people to see me a certain way. And as I left the volleyball world and then I left the TV world and I no longer was getting that daily validation from thousands of people, I wasn't on television, my life looked a lot different. I started to explore the many layers of myself. And I'm sure you've had this experience. I think anyone who plays with plant medicine in any capacity, it's like as you lift one layer, another one exposes itself. And so I just started to see so much more of who I was that I had either been suppressing or ignoring or too scared to face. And it was interesting because I, I feel like it was a building. It was, you know, understanding energy work and Reiki and how that helped me heal from chronic illness. And then it was understanding having something bigger than me. When you talk about spirituality and the universe and connecting to yourself and listening to your own voice, which I had never even known what that meant because I was such a people pleaser and always wanted to do what everyone told me to do. And then you put the sex on top of that. And I, I realized I'm bisexual. And then I realized I wanted to have threesomes and I think everything has just built on top of itself to make me who I am now. And today I will be different than who I am tomorrow. And I feel like it's this rapid evolution. And I have always been a very like go-getter, freight train speed, like let's just do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what my my personal development journey has looked like as well. It's just like, how quickly can I do this? When I see something, mm-hmm. I, I address it, I move through it. I don't like to sit in things. I don't want to just like be here. I want to keep going. So to your point and all the things that you shared to start with, I think that's kind of where I've been. It's just like this layering and this building and this uncovering and just being open to whatever shows itself. Well, it's quite interesting. Sounds like you have a kind of athletic approach to the personal growth and development. And a lot of people who are attracted to the worlds of plant medicine are are not in that mindset, Yeah, right? We've got the more kind of typically woo-woo or out-of-body people like myself. I mean, I'm, I'm coming into my body over, over time, but I was never in my body in the way that, you know, an athlete is, I think, in their body. And um, so I think that's really interesting. And was there a sort of pivotal moment for you? You said you got sick earlier on. Was that it? Or? Yeah, I've had a couple pivotal moments. I think being sick. So I was playing volleyball at USC, which is a school in Southern California for people who don't know. And I was in the best shape of my life. And then one day my leg gave out and that was sort of the beginning of the end for me. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. I had to quit playing volleyball, which I had played since I was 10 years old. So went through an entire identity crisis as well as being a 19 year old in college, losing all of my friends, not knowing what the fuck I was supposed to do with myself. And so I think that was the first big 
I wouldn't say awakening, but it was kind of this moment where I had to choose and I was put on a lot of drugs because they didn't know what was wrong with me. And so I was on like nine different drugs and I was drinking and it was just, I was suicidal. It was a very dark time of my life, but also really important because that's when I started to learn how to advocate for myself because Western medicine was failing me. No one had any idea what was going on. Nothing they were seeing made any sense. I'm like one of the top players in the entire country in the best shape of my life, squatting 220 pounds. And then the next day I can't walk. Like, what does that even mean? And I think it was the first time where I looked at why are you doing things for other people? And why are you just doing what everyone tells you to do? It was the first moment where I thought I need to think outside the box. And so that's when I started looking into holistic medicine and I started getting into energy work and I started to ask more questions. I had never been one to ask questions because I was a good girl and good, good girls don't ask questions. We just do as we're told. And I got off all that medication cold turkey at 21. And that's when I had started working for ESPN. So I was traveling all over the country. I was on TV every other day. And I just realized that I couldn't live this way. So I think that was really the first pivotal moment for me of taking control of my life and looking at things differently than I ever had. The other moment that really kind of lands for me is when I was working for the Dodgers. And I had this colleague his name is Oral Hershizer and he was kind of my uncle. Like he took care of me and you know, he's 30 years older and just wanted to make sure I was good. And so he was always looking out for me. And I remember one day we were at Dodger stadium down on the field. Cause we hosted a show on the third baseline and he looked at me and he said, why are you wearing that dress? And I said, what do you mean? And he just said, why are you wearing that dress? And I didn't know how to, it was just like this, this little white dress. It was tight. It was short. It was basically what Mm. I wore to Dodger stadium every day because I was supposed to look hot. It worked. Yeah. (laughs) And so I sat with that for the next week or so. And I just kept repeating the question. Why was I wearing that dress? Why was I wearing that dress? And what I realized was that he was trying to ask me, why do you feel this need to care so much about your clothes, to wear the short dress, to look a certain way? Like that is not your value. And I took that and I realized how much of my worth and value was wrapped up in my looks and other people's approval of me and people pleasing. I only lasted in television probably a year longer. I cut off all my hair a month after that conversation. I got rid of all of my clothes. And the way I walked into that clubhouse was completely different than it was previously because I realized that he was trying to wake me up and say, you don't have to like think of yourself this way. You don't have to live like this. There's so much more to you. But for me, as someone who had always been the volleyball player and excelled and done what I was told and then been in television and had all male bosses who told me to be a certain way and look a certain way, I just kept conforming. And he was trying to help me see I didn't have to do that anymore. I didn't have to sacrifice myself on a soul level in order to show up the way they wanted me to. And so I think those are two of the most pivotal moments of my life. Of course, there's been a million more, but those really forced me to ask myself hard questions and to be really fucking honest with myself about why I was acting the way I was or what I believed in and why and how I could think outside the box to actually take care of myself for once. I'm always so excited to hear stories of of waking up. And of course, it keeps going and going, doesn't it? Doesn't, yes. It doesn't stop once you've opened that that Pandora's box. But I just want to go back to the, you know, the sort of like the sudden diagnosis of fibromyalgia. I know that you've done um, plant medicine journeying and, you know, looked looked at yourself from different angles. 
what's your sort of deeper understanding of that and where that came from in your body? Yeah. So I was actually misdiagnosed for 14 years. I never had fibromyalgia. I actually had a chronic Epstein-Barr virus as well as leaky gut and SIBO. And I have the MTHFR genetic mutation. So all of those things combined basically made my body shut down. And what I forgot to mention was that my freshman year at USC, the year before I got really sick and couldn't play anymore, I had mono for eight months. So that's when it really started. But I I recovered after that, got in really good shape, and then my body shut down again. And so for me, mono should have been the first sign that something was really wrong in my body. Um, But I didn't know because Western medicine doesn't talk about that. They were just like, go sleep and like, you'll be fine someday. Um, And I eventually was fine and, you know, healed from it. But then that was really... Um, one of the biggest triggers for me to be sick after that, because I was just constantly pushing my body so hard that I think everything just kept shutting down over and over. And it finally got to a point where it was like, Mm -hmm. you, you can't live like this. But what I feel in terms of those diagnoses and why those things happened, I think I was in a very toxic environment um, in relationships and at work. I was working with all men, like I said, had to wear certain clothes to look a certain way. I was dealing with sexual assault in my career and it was a really stressful environment to live in. Um, I also, like I said, was such a people pleaser. I was such a perfectionist. I had so much anxiety because I wanted people to think I was the best and that I was perfect and there was nothing wrong with me. So I was constantly pushing down feelings and emotions in order to show, look at me, I'm so great and my life is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I think that my body was constantly trying to tell me, yo, you don't have to do this anymore and we're going to keep making you sick if you don't listen. And it took me a long time. I'm the kind of person that needs to get hit by a truck in order to like, listen, I don't take, you know, just this tiny little whisper. And so I think it just took most of us. I know, right. And so I think that's what it was. It was just this constant reminder that you are not living for yourself. You are not in alignment. You are not connected to your body and you are living outside of yourself. And you're so obsessed with external validation that we're going to make your body shut down. So the only thing you can do is take care of yourself. So it's interesting, you know, we're wanting to map your journey in terms of a kind of a sexual awakening, let's say a sort of psychosexual, psychosexual spiritual awakening, because to me, sexuality is so much broader than the way that it's normally defined. You know, I would probably say this would be the first step in your in your sexual awakening, which really goes to this is my body. It's not there for everyone else. And I just want to kind of bring in something from my journey on this, which was just keeps coming up as you're talking. I took a boga and I was trying to map some early childhood stuff. I wanted to see if there'd been a sexual abuse incident because I felt the vibes of it, but I didn't know if something had actually happened. And so I was kind of tracking that. It was pretty difficult. And one thing I saw along the way was that I had been, the way that sort of the plant showed it to me was that I had been leaking or spilling sexuality, kind of unconsciously, but I think also because of an insecurity somewhere that, you know, this was something that I had to do to please, to get favor, to be likable, to be to be okay, you know. So I, I still don't wear bras and sometimes I present myself as sexy and sometimes I don't. 
but it's different now. Like there's a different awareness to it. Mm. There's an awareness to it. Whereas before there was something going on where it was almost like, it was like a little bit of a deal with the devil, you know, it was like a little bit of an unconscious deal of like, I'll kind of do this and you'll kind of want this from me and we'll kind of give it to each other, but we won't really. And and it just kind of grosses me out just talking about it, to be honest. But yeah, I think there's this sort of, what is it? I don't know. I think, you know, when we when we start reclaiming our sexual power, we're making more space for our own sexuality inside of us. Because we have sexuality like it or not, right? But I think there's this sort of like, often this automatic, I give it away through performance, through unconsciousness, through trying to please the other. I, I just kind of give it away. And... I think, you know, you and I in, in probably different ways are, at, you know, a stage in the journey where it's like, oh, I can see it and I can feel it and it's here for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you bring this up because it's it's something that I don't think that I started to see until recently. My first time doing ayahuasca was about two and a half years ago and I remember in, it was one of the first ceremonies I sat in and it, I don't know if you've had this experience. Sometimes in ayahuasca, I feel like I'm having sex with somebody. It's very erotic and just really opening. Um, and this wasn't that. Actually, it hasn't been so erotic. Oh, damn. Yeah. Sorry. I wish that for you one day, if that's on your path. Um, it's quite Thank enjoyable. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, so for me, it wasn't, it wasn't erotic in that way. But what I saw was mm. if you think about your womb space, it was like this little circle of energy or light. And I saw it really, really tiny. And then I started to move my hips during the ceremony and I started to see it expand. And I saw my hips literally open. And I, I felt as my body moved in ways it never had before, because it felt like I had been locked up my entire life, figuratively and literally in so many ways. And what it showed me was that I had been suppressing so much of myself and what felt true for me and my desires And I had been a vessel for men for my entire life up until then. It was like, how can I please you? How can you use me? It wasn't about my pleasure or my desires. And I think that is what triggered me to start asking better questions around desire, around pleasure, around, well, what does it mean if my body does move this way? And what does it mean if this this does turn me on or if I want this thing? And I think it, it just blasted me open and showed me things that I had never seen before, never been aware of, because I felt like I was a pretty sexual person and had a good sex life and all these things. And then it's like, you only know what you know, and then you're exposed to something else. And you're like, that was a lie. (laughs) And I just saw so much more of what was available. So I love that. Um, It's really beautiful description. Tell me about how that translated. I actually should do the same for you on my aboga one, but let's move that into like your next sexual encounter or your next sexual encounters in real life. Um, (laughs) After ayahuasca, like what, what, what happened? What was different? Yeah, I think I was experiencing such a deeper intimacy with myself. It felt like I started to understand myself a lot more. And for me, ayahuasca is so powerful because I think of it as the missing puzzle pieces being given to me. 
So I look at my life and myself and I see a puzzle, but there's all these pieces missing and I don't have context for them or I don't have answers. And so I'm a little confused as to who I am as a human and why I make the choices I do. And then when I do ayahuasca, it's like these untapped memories or awarenesses come in. And so the puzzle is more full and is more complete. And so it allows me to better understand myself and then I can make choices and decisions from such a different place. It takes a lot of the fear out because it's this internal guidance and knowing within myself that is what's dictating. And so I think that there, there was much deeper connection within my own body. I had had a lot of like body dysmorphia and eating disorder and, you know, being an athlete, my body was very much, this is what it's for is being a really good volleyball player. And then it was be the hot chick on TV. And so it was just a lot of crap. And I think a lot of that kind of was let go of as well. And so I could just be more present in myself and, and not be scared to be in my body. And so then when I started having sex with my then boyfriend, now fiance, the more we were together, the more it felt like walls were able to come down. And I think that we're still in that process. It's been two and a half years. And Mm. I think that that still that experience of me opening and feeling my hips move and watching that energy open, I think still trickles into our experiences now because it's really letting down barriers and walls. It's connecting more with ourselves, which when we feel safe within ourselves, we're likely to feel more safe with someone we're with. And I think it's just this beautiful integration of knowing yourself and and feeling safe in your body to be in pleasure and ask for what you want. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The the, uh, line that I've been thinking about for a long time because I like to see if I can really simplify things is safe to feel Mm. you know I don't think we can fully feel if we don't at least connect with safety it's hard to I don't know I'm you know I'm on a journey with this myself because safety like everything else has many layers to it and there are also many good reasons why we should not feel safe all the time But I do feel like it's very important to access that place on the map somehow, somewhere within ourselves and then to be able to to grow from there. Because, of course, if you're safe, then you can be held and then you can experience yourself. And as a psychologist, I really feel like this goes back to super early childhood. Were we held could we experience ourselves? Could we yell, kick and scream and still feel like we were loved? You know, I mean, I think that's that's probably what we all want at the end of the day. It's like, can we yell, kick, scream with delight or terror or whatever and still feel like, you know, we're not going to be disconnected and we're not going to be abandoned. And I think that the plant medicine journey and the spiritual journey, as I understand it so far, starts with the self being able to map that in the self, which is a withdrawal of that projection of like someone else has to give it to me, which means you have to be on your own in some way, shape or form and accept that state. And I think, you know, the, the post of yours that I read that I felt so, you know, like, yeah, I really resonated. I was like, bravo, was when you were really kind of outlining this experience of just being on your own and the 
the sort of despair of loneliness when you, you know, when you encounter that thing, that place inside yourself that you've been trying to avoid a million different ways. And when you encounter it and it's just awful and it's awful and you're alone and it's unbearable and then you stay with it and you stay with it. And okay, okay, okay. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the the shimmers start coming in, you know, when you stay with the darkness and you stay with the abject and you stay with that part of yourself that you think is unbearable, which I truly believe we all have inside us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that it's the abject, it's the part that feels otherized, it's the part that feels, you know, separate. Um, which I think is part of the human experience. But if we can tolerate that, I think that that's sort of the deepest practice that I know. Yeah. I love that you bring this up and the way you talked about it was so beautiful. It brought a vision to me that I've never had before. So my mom passed away last year and we had an extremely codependent relationship my whole life. And the vision that I just had was of me kind of spiraling through darkness and falling, but just free falling. I'm not falling to anything Mm -hmm. and feeling like I'm isolated and alone in this dark void. And then anytime I needed to be saved, my mom would just reach her hand out and pull me back up. And I always had that. It was like, my mom always made everything okay. I could call her if I, Mm -hmm. you know, stubbed my toe or broke up with my boyfriend or lost my job, like didn't matter. My mom always fixed it. And that's the relationship we had. And so I never got comfortable in the free fall in the void. And I think what I've done really, really well over the last year, especially is get really comfortable in the free fall and the void. And it's, I'm like putting so many things together while I'm talking about this. So thank you for bearing with me. I remember in an ayahuasca experience, free falling, And I was fighting it in the beginning. And as soon as I surrendered, my free fall went from being in darkness into this incredibly beautiful, serene place with lots of beautiful colors and music. And I just floated. I was no longer free falling to my death is probably what it was, you know, about. It was this beautiful floating and just being present and allowing myself to be. And I think when you're able to shift your perspective or the lens through which you're looking at this. Yes, you can be in isolation, falling in darkness, just begging for someone to come save you. And in the same experience, you can also choose to surrender to the point where you get to float and allow yourself to be held in that floating. Yeah. From from free falling to floating. Sign us all up, yeah. darling. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I love those images and it kind of makes me want to go further with this for the listener to let's just brainstorm, see if we can give any more practical tips. Like, okay, I think that my practical tip on this would just be closing your eyes. You know, I go in and out of meditation and have real sort of aversion to it sometimes. I just don't want to close my eyes. Mm -hmm. So I would say that would be my tip on like practicing kind of going into free fall mm-hmm. is just close your eyes and experience that and be alive to the fear or the change that comes when you go from one dimension to another. Yeah. Is there anything that comes comes to mind in terms of a sort of practical tip for the 
someone who wants to try this out. Yeah. Of surrender. Yeah. I love, I love your idea. I think that's amazing. I think the other thing that I would say is just practicing being in quiet with yourself. That is really what the mm-hmm. free fall is for me. And, and when you're extremely codependent and you're always reaching for someone to save you or fix you, you constantly have this noise and chaos from the outside world, whether it's my knowing my mom's going to come in and tell me what to do or knowing that I need mm. to do it this way to please this person. I never really was able to hear myself because I just filled my mind and my experience with other people's voices. Mm. And I think that's yeah. part of why f- falling or being in a void is so scary. It's because like, you have to listen to yourself. And most of us don't know how we don't know what we sound like. And then we don't know how to trust ourselves. So I think the first step one is yes. I love the idea of closing your eyes and just being in the experience and welcoming in the falling. And at the same time, can you be quiet? No music, nobody talking to you, no one telling you what to do. Can you just be in the quiet with yourself and see what happens? see what comes forward, see how anxious you get, see Mm. how comfortable you are. You don't know until you try. And I think that's such an unknown for most of us because we're just so we're over consuming all the time. Can you be quiet with yourself? Yeah, I agree with that. And on the anxiety point, I would say that's pretty normal Mm -hmm. given the amount of shit we're bombarded by. It's pretty pretty normal to be anxious. I think if we can kind of hang in and not not judge ourselves for feeling uncomfortable or anxious, then there's usually something interesting on the other side. And, you know, this conversation is also bringing me, funnily enough, back to sex because that's such an area of, well, there are so many scripts in sex and there's also so much that's unknown. And probably the reason why we have so many scripts about you know about anything is because there's so much unknown right so there's so much raw material and also people are trying to figure it out but this may seem like out of left field but after I got a divorce and was kind of back on the market um this was a while ago I um you know I started encountering young men and casual sex and I guess while I'd been married you know porn had really accelerated everything had probably really accelerated. And so as I went back into this world of sort of, you know, casual or whatever kind of encounters, I was experiencing something very new. And the the guys that I was like meeting, starting to hook up with, had these scripts. I know this sounds like a massive generalization, but I feel like there's something to this. So bear with me and tell me what you think. But I, we would start to make out and then they would come up with this list it would usually go something like, so what do you want to happen? And I'd be like, um, uh, yeah, um, just, I don't know, like Gary and kissing or something. Um, and I'd be like, well, what do you want to happen? And they'd be like, well, you know, I want to flip you over and then I want to do this. And then I'm, you know, I might come here and I might come there. And what do you, I'd be like, what? And there was this whole, like, there were all these scenarios and all these game plans and they were so sort of fast and so premeditated and it was a turnoff, but it got me thinking. I was like, okay, well, do I have no will? Is What's going on here? Because I just don't think like that. So what's going on? So I was like, okay, I had to ask myself the question, what do you really want? What is your game plan? Or do you just not like the idea of a game plan? And 
I thought, well, actually, I don't really like the idea of a game plan. I like the idea of things unfolding. I like the idea of, you know, sort of like leaning into something that's mysterious. I personally, in general, like a really slow pace and until I don't, until I change my mind, but I like to start slow. And I like to really sort of melt into sensation and, you know, an openness. And now I'm telling you these things, but it's taken me a while to be able to even articulate them. And particularly under that pressure of a guy going like, hey, come on, what's going to happen? And and then it makes me think of, you know, the young females today who are growing up in these very sort of, you know, in a very performance-based culture I mean, more than what I was encountering, right? They're they're a whole bunch of porn on for me. And, you know, what is that like? And how do we become advocates, not just for, for sort of not wanting that, but for wanting a whole different world of experience that is not performance-based? And how do we even, you know, find that in ourselves? Because I feel like it's taken me a while to get to these thoughts even. yeah. Such an interesting conversation to have. And I, I think you're right. I think even more so now we are so bombarded with this idea of needing to perform and look a certain way. Like while I ride you, I must look worthy for Instagram from behind. <laughs> it's, it's like, it just doesn't even make sense at this point. Right. I think that the more we can, in society, men and women connect with our own bodies and our own selves, the less we are reliant on being performative or coming up with schemes or game plans, because then you're really present to the moment and you're feeling, but how often are you in a sexual experience where you're actually, I look at it as almost like there's this energy cord from, you know, my sternum into your sternum, which creates intimacy and connection and we can feel each other without talking. And I, I know what you want by the way you're breathing and by the way you grab me versus I'm going to do this thing. Cause I saw it on a porn and I'm going to make her be like this for me. Right. It's like, how is her body moving organically that I can then naturally flip her over and then grab her hair or whatever that is. I think that there's a really organic way to go about this, but I don't think we have access to that. If we're not accessing it within ourselves, if we're not on honest about our own desires, if we're not allowing our hips to be open and allowing that feminine energy to flow. I think those are all parts of this. I think we are in a society now that I hope comes full circle soon that is just so obsessed with how things look and how things perform and getting that like and getting that stamp of approval. But when we're performing in that way, we're not fulfilling ourselves and it feels empty and it feels more lonely and isolating, I think, than if you didn't, didn't even do it to begin with. So I think it's the more and more we can come back to connection, the more and more we can listen, listen with our bodies, listen with breath. I think those things can fall away. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. As you were talking, I was wondering if this is kind of the reason for the huge upsurge in women being with women. I know that for me that, you know, I I always liked women and I've kind of felt like life, you know, steered me into a, a more kind of hetero version of sort of what I naturally was. And it was only 
really late in the day that I fell in love with a woman and had, you know, complete sort of sexual healing um, experience and relationship. And it was sexual healing, in my opinion, because it was a reconnection to this different kind of, of sexuality that felt sort of fundamentally sort of soft, I think, and, and connected and non-performance based. And I do think women tend to bring it out in each other, this sort of like, just love, we just love love, you know, yep. just like love to love to stoke love and love to stoke connection and we love to tend to each other and and that can get too much like we talked about with you know your experience with your I don't know if we want to say too much but your mother was always rescuing you and I've I had a lot of that also from my mother and you know loved it and was hooked on it and you know it was only late in the day that I was like I don't bring every problem to her you yeah. know poor thing I think she got exhausted I was like okay <laughs> I'm gonna give her the woman a break you know but it was also because I was growing these parts of myself and and yeah and being with a woman was definitely part of that and I noticed you know in the the younger generations it's so much more acceptable which is so wonderful and I think that there's alongside being this kind of super performance-based culture we've also got a more permissive culture growing that's allowing us to explore and understand our sexuality in a more dimensional way don't you think we're going back to the 70s right now I hope so. I feel like but it. I, I feel you like know, we're I, in this I, full free love movement, which is so interesting <laughs> to be a part of. Cause I, I mean, growing up, I thought those people were nuts. I'm like, y'all are doing LSD um, and having threesomes. And it's just like, la -di -da -di -da. and now I'm, I'm microdosing LSD right now. And I was sexting with a girl last night and I'm just like, we are straight up going back to free love. You were doing what with a girl last night? Sexting. Sex, sexting. Yeah. Like sex texting. No, I'm on LSD right now. But uh, last night I was late night sexting with this girl. And I'm just like, this like modern free love. Yeah. So tell me about that. So you're, you're in, I mean, let, okay, we've got to talk about this a little bit, you know, I've, I've dabbled, but I think I've got a feeling you're, a, you're a whole stage on. So I need to learn. So, oh dear. okay. So you are engaged to a guy. Mm-hmm. And you're in an open relationship? We say monogamish. Right? We're not open. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're each other's primary. You set the container. You set the the rules. And then you invite in females, males. Just women. All of the above? Yeah, no men. Just women. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's comical thinking right, about bringing another guy. You. you know, I yeah. don't know where your road will have led then. But um, so, so hey, how's it going? What's what's the best bit? What's the hardest bit? What's the best bit? Ooh, all the things. You know, the hardest is the insecurities for me. Yeah. The I mean, even last night I was like in a whole fucking tiffy about being insecure and comparing myself to other women. And that's been my life since I was five years old. And I, because to me, I'm so competitive and I was taught to be the best. Yeah. You have to be the best. Otherwise you fail. So when another woman is involved, I'm like, but I have to be the best. And what if I don't give him a blowjob as good as she gives him a blowjob and then he wants to be with her? Or what if she looks sexier doing this? It's just, this is how my head works. And I think that's, this a, that's a headache. That's yeah. a lot to navigate. It is. And yeah. also I think that yeah. I chose to be in this dynamic to heal that. It's kind of like how you were saying yeah. you receive sexual healing being with women. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. This really is it yeah. on a very like big time yeah. level. 
because I really, I like, I love women sexually and non-sexually. I want women to win. I want to support them. I have the most amazing friendships. I, I want everything for women. And I want that also reflected in the bedroom. And why is it that if she is beautiful and gives a great blowjob, that means something negative about me. So that's what I have been kind of sitting with mm-hmm. and working on for the last couple of years of, as we have embarked on this journey. So I think that's really the hardest part because the jealousy and the you're going to leave me and the abandonment comes up from that. And so that's really our constant yeah. conversation. And it is hard and I cry a lot and I have a lot of like uncomfortable moments and I have to ask myself hard questions and I've had to be like, is this really what you want? And at the end of the day, I am so fulfilled and our relationship is so strong and so intimate and just so like our communication is incredible. It has brought so much goodness to us. And I love being with women. Like that is just what it is. And so I am so open to the hard moments where I have to really look at my own insecurities and the bullshit stories and narrative that I have so that I can work through that to have the life that I want. I think that the best part for me is being held by another woman. I, it is so healing, like you said, and being with other women has allowed me to see myself more clearly and it allows me to feel safer in my body And it allows me to be more fully expressed and it is not performative. It feels so normal and so organic. And so when I, when I'm alone with a woman or it's the two of us and Connor, it just, it's dynamic and it feels really nourishing and it feels very intimate and it brings him and I closer and whoever we are with, like we love taking care of that person and I don't know. It's just, it's a really beautiful experience. And it's also the hardest fucking thing I've ever done in my life. (laughs) Yeah. I remember a threesome once it just, it just came to my mind where I just walked out in the middle of it. I just, I, I, I just reached a a threshold inside myself where I just, I, you know, Mm -hmm. I, couldn't tolerate what was happening which was basically feeling left out yeah so funny it just came to mind but yeah I mean I can see you you know it's very easy to get pushed into one of those thresholds and I really like the the conversation about sort of sisterhood and it's so easy for us to say you know I'm in it for women I love women I'm here for women blah 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 which is kind of how I feel, although I'd like to extend it to everyone. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I have a real calling around women. I really do love women. And yeah, I mean, there are there are these times where that that sisterhood gets really tested. And it is usually jealousy. And it is usually some part of yourself that feels undeveloped. And that's where you get caught in those lower vibrations. You know, it's when your friend suddenly says they're doing the thing that you know, you always meant to do that dream in your life that you always meant to do. You know, to me, it comes up around creativity and you're like, damn. And then, you know, can you move through that and really feel happy for them and really feel like their win is is your win? And I think the only way that we can get to that point is if we keep loving up on those like tight and inferior spaces inside ourselves when we just feel like I'm a loser and I'm really undeveloped and like well you know what this may be an undeveloped muscle and it's okay come on let's grow you know and so I think you know a lot of it's sort of how we how we talk to ourselves on on the deepest level and of course the ride that you choose you know I admire your ride 
and also at my stage in life, we're having kids and um, having experimented a certain amount. I'm I'm not there because I, I mean, I'm there in terms of enjoying it and I can enjoy it vicariously. And, you know, if it happened, I'm sure I would love it. But it's not where I want to put my energy because there's a lot of dynamic sorting out, right? I remember my my dabbles beyond monogamy were like, oh my God, there's so much. And especially for some, like a psychological person like myself like, and a sensitive person, you know, like so much sorting out to do of everyone's feelings. Yeah. This is serious stuff. This takes time. It does. And so we were dating someone this year for about four months. And so it was a person we were regularly sleeping with and hanging out with. And it definitely became very emotionally involved. And it was a lot for everyone and didn't end super great. And Connor and I learned a lot in that. And I think one of the biggest takeaways is that it is a fucking energetic drain. And it is... (laughs) when you start letting it become like a part of your relationship where you're like in a thruple, um, which I'm sure we were kind of, you know, on the edge of becoming that it's, it's too much. And I, I love my relationship with Connor. We're about to get married in two months. Then we're starting IVF, having babies. We're doing the whole fucking domesticated thing. And I run a company and I have a brand and we have dogs and I, I'm just like, I don't have enough to give. Like I want to have really good sex and have fun. And I want this to be playful, but when it starts going beyond that and now I'm, I'm in a relationship with him, I'm in a relationship with her. And then three of us are in a relationship. I'm like, I can't. And I commend people who do this and who, you know, are really open and the whole thing. But we just, we were like, this just isn't for us. And we learned a lot in that. And I'm so I'm glad we did it. And it was amazing. And she was wonderful in the whole thing. Uh, but I realized a lot about myself that it's, it's fun when it's, you know, a one-time thing or a couple of times, and it's not this whole emotional roller coaster that we have to go on. I think that feels healthier for me, but I'm with you. I don't know how I'm going to feel in six months when I'm pregnant or mm-hmm. in two years when I have a toddler and you know, my boobs are like bursting with milk. I'm not really sure if I'm going to want to have a threesome oh, at that I'm point. I'm excited for you. I mean, you're, you've got such a ride ahead. I, I, I want us to stay in touch and, and uh, yeah, I, I'd love to sort of continue to, to track your journey. I want to show you my t-shirt. Let's do a live experiment and see if if you get, oops. Let's see if you get triggered by my world's best lover t-shirt because I know you're competitive. No, I love that. I saw it earlier and I was like, I love that she's wearing this shirt. Ah! It makes me so happy. You know, I didn't want to get you really mad um, (laughs) for our interview. But actually, uh, I was wearing it because I felt like it really related to the kinds of things you and I are interested in. And I wanted to share this story of the t-shirt with you, which is this based on my young daughter at the time gave me one of those fake Oscar trophies. Oh my gosh. And it said world's best lover. And my first thought from my ego was, hey, how does she know what hot shit I am? And then I was like, oh, look through the eyes of a child. Oh. And lover is not about sex. It's about someone. It's about someone who loves, right? And so I started thinking about that idea. Think about a lover as someone who loves, the activity of love. How do we love? And if you're the world's best lover, how are you loving the world? 
And how are you, you know, as an action, as an activity to love the world? So I brought this idea to this women's retreat so we could kind of brainstorm it. And we had a wonderful time. It was it was super fun. And then my friend at the end, you know, made me this T-shirt. So it's it's a little bit of a talking point. But it makes me think of you because I think that that's I think this is this is your journey Mm. is being a lover in the most multidimensional way. And it's our journey. Thank you for that reflection. That's so beautiful. I love that. It's, I love that you say that too, because I think that's really what it is. We all want more love and more intimacy. And when we're held and we're seen and we're accepted and we get to explore our desires and be expressed, like that is what we get. And I want more people to experience that and feel that. And whether it's in sex or your career, your relationship, it doesn't matter if you get to be the world's best lover and to feel that kind of love in every part of your life and that play and that fun imagine how much happier we would all get to be and how much more joy there would be rather than this constant cycle and narrative of we're not good enough or I don't do this right or blah, blah, blah. Um, So I love that you say that. Thank you. I'm with you. And uh, thank you, Kelly. I've really loved our talk today. Oh, thank you for having me. This was amazing. Lots of love, darling. You too. Wow. To say that Kelly is a woman after my own heart is an understatement. I love how wide she is opening the box. And hey, is there even a box? This can get pretty existential. Uh, I think the idea that's going to stay with me from this conversation is this reframe from falling to floating. I think that this is speaking to the idea of surrender, surrender this mysterious concept and word that is floating around in the spiritual circles. How do we do it? How do we surrender? How do we let go? We're wired to cling. Uh, I think talking about it, thinking about it is a good start. I'm going to start here. Sending love and catch you on the other side. 